little nerds and nerdettes. Junior ambassadors, boys and girls of all ages. We're nerds and uh, we're pretty proud of it. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. Never apologize for being nerdy. All things geek are up for grabs. Because unnerdy people never apologize for being assholes. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Happy New Year, nerds and nerdettes, and welcome to the first episode of the Nerdite Nations for the year 2021. We finally put that shit year in 2020 into the rearview mirror, and yeah, 2021, it's uh, depending where you're at, it's not starting off the best either. But uh, I am your co host from the Midwest United States, Jared Boots. With me, as always, is Melissa Nicholson. Melissa, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> well, Good to be back. Happy New Year. Two, week, two weeks late, Happy New Year. But, yeah, yeah. Ah, close enough. All the days okay. move together anyway, so we're good. Uh, they've been doing that since about 2018 anyway. <laughs> yep, that would be true. Well, it's a new year, but it's not a new podcast. I don't believe in that theory. <laughs> <laughs> new year, same nerds. And today we're talking about our top 10 films of 2020. It was a shit year but at least we had some good entertainment right melissa yes that is very true and i'm thanking all the gods for streaming services because <laughs> without uh, they them, came in <laughs> without them a uh, list probably wouldn't have been made so yeah for once uh streaming service was were the mvp of uh 2020 although i did see some of my movies in the theater before everything went to hell so I didn't see many of them, but I saw quite a few. This is true. I saw, what, two two, two of them, yeah. One at the beginning of the year, and then one, obviously, later in the year. So, Not two. Not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw three, but I still have the potential to see a fourth one if I want to. Well, it's past 2029, and the list is already set in stone, so I could still see it in the theater, technically. I have, but, uh, to, I have to wait a while to see that. <laughs> well, enough BS talking for filler. Let's get started. Uh, Melissa, what was your? Do you had any? Do you have any disappointments for 2020? I do. I've got three disappointments. Um, my three disappointments are Sonic the Hedgehog, the Babysitter, Killer Queen. And Eurovision, the Song of the Fire Saga. Those were my three um, big disappointments because I thought, no, these would be kind of good. Um, I was sort of really skeptical with Sonic the Hedgehog, but I was kind of out of protest and reluctance that I ended up seeing the film. And the two others, I thought, this is going to be really good. And eh, didn't do so much for me. So... Uh, they ended up in my disappointments list. Oh, that's too bad, because I know two of those movies are going to make an appearance later on in this episode. 
So what do you have? Any I lost. Or what do you have? I do not have any biggest disappointments for 2020 other than the year itself. Because <laughs> the way I, the reason why I don't have any disappointments is I go with my standard set low and look to be surprised. So I do have a biggest surprise of 2020, though. Okay. And what's your biggest surprise, then? And that would be the movie My Spy, starring Dave Bautista and Chloe Coleman. And the reason why it's a surprise to me is because we've seen that trope before of the big tough guy has to protect the little little kid. Like we've seen it with Schwarzenegger and Kindergarten Cop. We've seen it with Vin Diesel and the Pacifier. We've seen it with Hulk Hogan and Mr. Nanny, even to a lesser extent. Seen it with Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. But uh, it's such a surprise to me because Batista has done so well. I've followed him since his wrestling career, going into Drax the Destroyer and Guardians of the Galaxy. And... I don't know why it's just so well. It's just uh, you go with your expectations low and you come out pleasantly surprised. Plus, Kristen Shaw, she fucking steals the movie, man. She's hilarious in this movie, playing his his partner. <laughs> she is so goddamn good. I love her. She's mostly known for her voice work. So I, you don't get to see her a whole lot in live action stuff, but she's so damn good in it. <laughs> so my spy was my greatest surprise of 2020. Well, that's great. It's always good when, you know, you have you know, a little bit of expectations, but then they're still pretty low, and you go in thinking, oh, this is, nah, worth, you know, entertainment, and then it comes out being a good movie, so that's awesome. Yeah, and Batista does have a good, uh, good uh, chemistry with Chloe, Chloe Coleman, I believe her name is, the little girl in the movie. Oh, like, it's, like I said, it's something we've seen a million times before, but... It's done pretty well. And like all those movies I mentioned earlier, they're done pretty like the pacifier with Vin Diesel is always a, a good watch. I haven't watched it in years, but that was always a good watch too. I don't think I've seen that movie. I know of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's definitely good. So yeah, they, they love to put people from guardians of the galaxy in these movies where they team up with little kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, this seemed to work in this film. So, <laughs> so, uh, before we get to the top 10, what are your honorable mentions for 2020? Uh, I have two honorable mentions. Uh, my first is a movie called Inheritance, and my second is an animated film called The Willoughbys. The Willoughbys? Yeah, The Willoughbys. I can honestly say I haven't heard of any of those. Uh, it was two, there were two movies that I had actually stumbled upon on, they were both on Netflix, I believe. Um, I know The Willoughby's was on Netflix, but I'm not a thousand percent sure on Inheritance, but, um, it was when I was looking for movies to add to my top ten, and, um, since I've watched a few other movies, they kind of got bumped off my list, but they deserved an honorable mention anyway, and. Um, both movies are really good. Inheritance was a great film. Um, it was one of those ones where it's like it le- led you down a path where you thought you knew where it was going, and then it just like turns around and goes, "Nope, here's some <laughs> here's something completely different, and we're just gonna <laughs> go down a different path." But it was uh, very well done. It was kind of a like a um, it's a drama thriller whodunit kind of movie. 
and the Willoughby's is a uh, is an animated film that's really really cute, and it's about kids who have parents who are very disconnected from them. They aren't really caring of their lives or their needs or anything like that. So then the kids decide they want to be orphans to have a better life for themselves. And so what they plan is to send their parents on a world tour <laughs> and to send them out on a trip around the world and basically to never come back. And shenanigans ensue after that, and it's just hilarious. So um, it's also a very touching story, and it's, yeah, it's touching, it's funny, and uh, it, was, it was a good watch. I uh, saw so the look into those whenever I decided to go back to Netflix again. Well, it seems like a lot of my honorable mentions came from streaming services too. Mm-hmm. Um, my first one is one I found on Shudder, like a horror Netflix, and uh, that's called the Mortuary Collection. Oh, yeah. And uh, anybody who knows me knows I love a good anthology horror movie. And uh, this one was really well done. It was done by, and it, I think it's even produced and starring an actor I really love, Clancy Brown, who's just one of those guys I love him and everything he's in. I've always known him as the, uh, what'd you call it? The, the guard from Shawshank Redemption, but every, most modern audiences might know him as Mr. Krabs from uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, and the good thing about this, uh, anthology is it's got a good wraparound too. So every story connects to another and it revolves around a mortician who's looking, who's training a new, uh, I guess like an intern almost or somebody to take over for him and all the bodies in the mortuary tell a story and this is how it goes. And it does have a nice tie around at the end it does pay off fairly well. Nice. Um, you might consider this next one, a cheat. It's called never hike in the snow. And it was a fan film I found on YouTube by Womp Stomp studios. And it's a fan film dedicated to the Friday the 13th franchise. It's actually a sequel to one he did a few years prior called Never Hike Alone, I believe it's called. And it's almost a direct continuation of the Tommy Jarvis storyline. And it has the actor who, I don't, I should have written his name down, but he was the third person to play Tommy Jarvis, uh, a grown adult Tommy Jarvis in the number six. So... So it's a nice continuation of that. Uh, so if you can find it on YouTube, it's from Womp Stomp Studios. I recommend watching the first one first so you get an idea. Okay. And it's called Never Hike Alone? Uh, the first one is Never Hike Alone. Yeah. And, and then the, the second... recent one is Never Hike in the Snow. Never Hike in the Snow. Okay. Yeah, I've been wanting to check out uh, the Mortuary Collection. I've heard a lot of good things about it. So um, I definitely, it's on my watch list. To see, and then those other two sound pretty good. So, well, I, I haven't mentioned the, the, the my last honorable mention is uh, What's the last one? On. <laughs> my last one is called We Summon the Darkness. It's uh, something I, I, I heard about, I've seen it on the I've seen it on the shelf at the store. It stars the ever beautiful uh, Alexander Daddario and Johnny Knoxville. And spoiler alert if you're going in the rent, this just because Johnny Knoxville is in it. Don't get your hopes up that he's not in the movie a whole lot. He's in the beginning and at the very end. Um, it's a fun, it's a very fun film. Don't let that discourage you that he's not in a whole lot. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe the film, but it's it 
takes place in the eighties, which a lot of movies seem to do anymore. And, um, it's almost like, it's like these strain of killings are going around and these killings are made to look like they're satanic ritual killings. And it's revealed spoiler alert that it's done by the, this church. So it's these members of this church that are doing this to make it look like they're satanic killings to draw more people into their church. And it's revealed at the end of the film that the girls that are doing this, uh, Alexander Dario is Johnny Knoxville's daughter, the pastor that is, uh, scheming the whole thing so it, it's a fun movie not to, it's like a good horror comedy i think it's more comedy than horror suspense but it's still worth a watch mm-hmm. that one's gonna get a mention later on <laughs> spoiler <laughs> well well it's it started in my top 10 and then some late year binge watching uh moved it out of my list in my honorable mentions so i thought it was still worth a mention of course. Well, speaking of, let's get into it. Uh, what is your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is a movie called The Rhythm Section. And it stars uh, Blake, uh, yeah, Blake Lively and Jude Law. And it's about a girl named Stephanie who her parents um, unfortunately had died in a plane crash and she learns later that um, they, it was a terrorist attack, and so the, obviously the, when that happened, the plane went down, and so she starts to piece things together. But when we first meet her, she's at a very low point in her life. Like, she uh, has drug abuse issues, mental health issues. She's just, you know, dealing with, trying to deal with all the things that have happened, and because she's basically ending up on her lo- on, by herself. And um, and then she meets up with Jude Law's character, who's a spy, and trains her. And it's a really good film as she starts to piece together everything that's happened and try to find the the group that was responsible for um, the plane crashing and her parents' death. And uh, it was a really really good movie. Um, I uh, I was like. You know, not many movies nowadays, like, have me really sort of engaged with it. But this one had me, like, from the frickin' start all the way to the end. And it was very well done. Everybody did an amazing job in it. And it was a little... It's a little bit of a redemption story, but it's also not. Because you really see her struggle throughout the film and go through this path of, you know, trying to find things out. And then, you know... eventually get into her training and all this kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, it's a, it was a really good movie. Nice. So I, did you find that in the streaming service somewhere? Because I, I feel like I've heard the name, the rhythm section mentioned before somewhere. Oh, if it's one of our mutual groups that we were in on, on Facebook or. It was whatnot. on, it was on Netflix is where I found it. And it was one that I um, stumbled upon. It wasn't one that I had heard of before until I, I found it on there. So Interesting. Yeah. So what's your number 10? Well, I'm ready to shock the world and say I actually have a Marvel movie on my list for the first time in years. <laughs> and that would be the... Uh, 
<laughs> the movie the new the new mutants uh movie that actually sat on the shelf for like two or three years with fox um it is quite low on my list and it's because it, the movie is really slow and the best way i can describe it is it's sort of like um i described it to my our friend mikey uh it's like the x-men meet dream warriors from the nightmare on elm street franchise because it just bases around these mutants who are in a facility who are they're they're learned to control their powers and um it has a nice logan tie into it too but the movie has such i wouldn't even call it a slow burn but it's just such a slow moving movie but it it, did, it really picks up in the third act when you get this demon bear shit at the end of it where the main character is that that's her mutant power but yeah, most but most of the movie you're just watching uh, Arya Stark, Casey Cook from the Split franchise, and Jonathan Byers from uh, Stranger Things <laughs> sit around and deal with their <laughs> deepest fears, learn to deal with their powers. But once you get to that demon bear, oh, the CG and the demon bear looks so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it worth it at the end. But and even the CG with Arya Stark, man, her her power is pretty cool too. But uh. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a slow burn, but it's and it's just a slow movie, I think, for the most part. But I do like the Logan tie-in with it because it ha- I haven't watched Logan in a while, but it has a tie-in to the uh, the organization in Logan where the mutants are the mutant kids are being taken to and they escape from in the end where X twenty three and all them came from. So it's tied into that. Okay. Uh, the kids in this uh, in the New Mutants, these kids are being told this is where they're going to Xavier School next. When actuality, they're going to this organization where they're going to be used to be weaponized and all that stuff. So it's got that nice. It's got it's got that nice little Logan tie-in. I thought where I had flashbacks to some of those. It had flashback to that footage where those kids were being used and everything in it. But um, I feel like the X Men franchise, like yeah. We all agree the X Men franchise in the what almost twenty twenty years it's been around. The films have been hit and miss. This isn't better than X Men Origin Wolverine, <laughs> but but not as good as like the first one or Logan. But it's mm-hmm. it's enjoyable, and I think the reason why it made my list is because it's it's got more rewatchability, I think, out of it than some of the other films. But the third act really makes it worth it after a while. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That one sounds pretty cool. It's worth a watch. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to add it to my list of ever-growing movies to watch. There you go. Um, <laughs> moving on, what is your number nine? My number nine is a movie called The Old Guard. And this one stars uh, Charlize Theron and... It is about a group of mercenaries who are all centuries-old immortals with the ability to heal themselves. And they discover someone who's onto their secret. And they're basically like a scientist and a part of this big organization that finds them out and obviously wants to use them and take their power and, you know, use them to basically take over the world kind of thing. <laughs> and so this group is uh, constantly on the run and they're basically, they're, they're protecting their, their freedom. And um, this one was, it was different. Um, 
you you have everybody who's they're they're kind of a group of misfits because they're all very different from each other, but they all really have a close connection with each other, and they you know certainly care about each other, and they all get through this, and they also find somebody else who has a gift and brings them into the group and kind of they tell them about their powers and things things that that they couldn't explain at first like they things were they could do things or whatever and they now it's being explained when they get into this group and uh yeah it's a very good film um a little bit slow at the beginning um but once it gets going it doesn't stop <laughs> it's constantly it's kind of it has it's like sort of highs and lows but it's not like dramatic where it's just okay really you're going crazy everything's going and then it just drops down it's kind of a nice balance between stuff happening and things not happening and yeah it was um it was a good movie i i really enjoyed it it was um a, a different film and uh i really enjoyed it it was a good one. So nice is uh, this one got a lot of buzz when it first came out too earlier in 2020. Um, I just never got onto watching it. Um, was it based off a comic book or graphic novel? I thought I heard it was, or maybe just a, a or just a regular book. I'm not sure. I think maybe a book, but I'm not. I can't remember. It might have meant. I think it mentioned that at the beginning of the film, like it was based on something, but I'm not sure which. If it was a comic book or a book. But I think, who was it? I think it was Guy Milks uh, that watched it and said it was good. And so then I ended up, oh, I'm going to check it out. And it was good. Um, I, I remember hearing a lot of people say they enjoyed it when it first came up. I, I thought I might have heard it was based off of a graphic novel or something. It was based off another kind of another source material. Yeah. I'm, I want to say graphic novel, but I'm not, um, I'm not sure on that. The so old guard. Mm-hmm. Well, my number nine was also another f- a film recommended by our friend Guy Milks, and that was Fat Man. Ah. So, so if you've ever imagined Mel Gibson playing Santa Claus in an action movie, this is the film for you. <laughs> and. <laughs> Ever since I watched this a couple weeks ago, I have been recommending it to everybody because it is. I am not an action movie guy by any stretch of imagination. I'll watch a few here and there, but this was a fucking awesome movie. And um, it stars Mel Gibson as Santa Claus and uh, Walton Goggins as. Like a, a random ass hitman who <laughs> and it's revealed that he has this he is an assassin but he also has this side job where he buys people's Christmas presents they got from Santa off of them and the reason that it is, is and you find out at the end of the movie the reason why is because his parents died when he was a kid and he asked Santa Claus to bring his parents back and he didn't Santa didn't bring his parents back to life, but he gave him a cop car, like a little model cop car. So ever since then, he's been after uh, Santa. But 
what I love about this, this movie is so bonkers, and they don't even hide. They don't. It's not like tongue in cheek. Is this guy Santa Claus? Is he not? He is Santa Claus in this movie. His <laughs> name is his name is Chris, and got the beard. He got the reindeer, elves, everything. He drives a red truck and all this stuff. And I really love the. I'm probably gonna butcher her name, uh, Marianne Chang Baptiste, who plays Mrs. Claus. I love the chemistry between her and um, between her and Mel Gibson as Mr. And Mrs. Claus. It's so damn good, and I do like this kind of subplot they have going on, where they're they're kind of falling. The the clauses are kind of falling on hard times, and it's dealing. It's because. It's dealing around the fact that kids aren't being good anymore. So they're not producing as much toys as they are coal. So uh, Santa has to take a government contract to produce these drones to get a little extra money. And there's another subplot to it. This little boy, this little shit of a, of a boy who's <laughs> like, he hires Walton Goggins to be like a hitman for him. Because he comes up, he comes up in second place in the science fair, and he has hires Goggins to blackmail this little girl into saying she cheated. And then when Santa gives him coal for Christmas, he hires Goggins to assassinate Santa Claus. And this will bring me his head. Well, he goes, well, I can't bring him your head. I have to go through border. I have to go through the border in Canada, and that's going to ask questions like. Well, about the beard. Well, I can't bring you a beard. Well, what about his? What about if I bring you his coat? And I've described this movie as bonkers, but it's 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 good. And Guy best described it as it's a fun Elseworlds Santa film, and I wholeheartedly agree. If you, I found it on. I've been told it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. But I, if you if you have Redbox. Uh, DVD rentals where you live, where you're listening to this. I know it's on there. It's worth the $2 Blu-ray rental for one day. It is fun. And once it becomes available for purchase on a physical copy, I will be going out and buying it because this movie is so damn fun. <laughs> From beginning to end, well done. It's original. It's it's chef's kiss. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mel, Gib- Mel Gibson is back, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds super awesome. Like I'm, um, I-, I love action movies. I really do. I love you know the explosions of badassery. The just you know, just everything about action films. So this is freaking right up my alley. I need to see this. I've heard well, many, many if... about it. So I yeah. <laughs> Well, if a, if a shootout at the if a shootout at Santa's workshop is something you want to cross off your cinematic bucket list, um, yes. <laughs> then this film is definitely for you. Not since we saw the teaser for the night the reindeer died in Scrooge, we thirty years later we finally get something that delivers. <laughs> oh, that's great! I definitely I hope. Others check that movie out too, and, and I'm definitely going to check it out. So, 
that's 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 actually good that's actually a good way to describe it in a way it's like somebody's the i can't i should have wrote down the director of this film writer director of this film it's like he saw that little vignette for the beginning of scrooge the night the reindeer died with lee majors and he goes i'm gonna make that a fucking movie with mel gibson 30 years from now (laughs) you never know (laughs) that could be the, the origin of the film we don't know but thank you for creating it <laughs> you'll love it <laughs> oh what is your number eight uh, my number eight was a movie that was mentioned not too long ago and that is we summon the darkness with alexandra daddario and johnny knoxville and i thought this was a fun film i thought it was it was different because I really like that, you know, the, the girls, they, you know, they go to a concert or, and then they befriend three guys and then they go out to the house and it, like everything sort of seems really sort of innocent, whatever. And then it just turns around and <laughs> slaughter happens. And I thought, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a, it's a, it's a fun film and, um, it, it was different because you, you know, it's always, you know, you always have the, you know, the final girl in every film. And so it was kind of neat to have the female characters being the people who are doing the, the killing and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. You must have taken a peek off my list because this was number eight on my list for the longest time. It's until I went on that late year movie binge. <laughs> well, I tried placing it like a little higher on my list, and I mm, no, like it, it, I really I did enjoy the film, but no, number eight seemed to be the comfort spot <laughs> for it. So. <laughs> and, it's it is a fun film, and it, I think it does lean on the humor side of it more than it does in the uh, horror or suspense. I wouldn't you call it more horror. I call it more suspense thriller. Yeah, yeah. I do like the twist. I do like the twist that uh, Knoxville was her father the whole time. I kind of figured something was up the whole time. Yeah, but uh, it was going to be a little bit, you know, like although a lot of films are like that, where it's sort of leaning on the guy who's you just think, okay, this guy's really sketchy. Like there's something up with him, but it wasn't focused on him, which I, I like that. Like it was focused on the three girls who are doing that for him. So yeah, I, I it was good. Although speaking as a, a man of a man that believes I, I, after a while I do get tired of seeing the crooked pastor or crooked preacher after a while. It, it's a, it's a trope of the, the dirty pastor. It, it's a trope that does get tired after a while, but if you do it, enjoy it. If you, if you do it in an entertaining way, I'll still watch it. it yeah. Which it I think seems we, like it's a while it gets gone. It goes to quite a bit. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, it does, it, it, that does get overdone. I will agree. It, it's okay. You can stop anytime now, but I think with this film, it was done. Like, I, I like the more focus on the comedy part. And it still had the the suspense and and stuff about it, but I, I did like that there was still there was still humor in it. So I, I don't think it was, you know, they, they weren't 
hitting too hard on the fact that you know it's a crooked priest and all this kind of stuff. So, um, oh, I mean, it's a could, part of you it. Tell, but, you could, yeah, you could tell they're you could tell they're leaning on humor because they have a main character has to take a piss every twenty seconds. So, <laughs> but we all have that one friend, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your number eight my number eight was another film that was mentioned earlier and that was sonic the hedgehog okay. and uh sonic the hedgehog i was part when the first trailer came out and sonic looked scary as hell with the weird the human eyes and the weird scary ass human teeth i'm glad believe me i'm glad they redesigned this did the redesign it was worth it was worth the delay or i don't think they did delay it actually i think they just went in overtime and got it out on time still yeah um but uh i really love the performances and, and it's is it an oscar-winning film no by any stretch of the imagination um jim carrey while we've ridden him quite a bit on our podcast about if he's not kept in check like how he was in the riddler they still let him be Jim Carrey, but he's st- there are still scenes where he still is like menacing as Dr. Robotnik and still does get a little silly at the same time, but it's kept in check, which is very well done, and he's very expressive, and he, he, he plays that. It's almost like a more evil Sheldon Cooper, somebody who knows he's smart, but it's more it's done in a more threatening way, so... It, it's very, he's like a evil Sheldon Cooper. I, I'd say he, he does the menacing very well, I'd say. And, um, so he, he has those moments where he isn't like he, this dude knows what he's talking about. He's very intelligent. He's intimidating, scary, but at the same time, he's also a little goofy at the same time. And, um, it was nice to see that James Marsden, he got himself a nice little rebound, where he's doing a buddy film with a CGI character, unlike Hop a couple of years ago, where that's just an abysmal film. Um, and I was a little worried with uh, Ben Schwartz playing uh, Sonic because I only know him from John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. And it's like, whenever I hear John Ralphio, I'm like, oh God, that guy is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> But Ben Schwartz really did a great job as Sonic. I thought Sonic was so well done. The CG looks great after the redesign. So props to the the team that worked on that. You guys really busted your ass to give us a good-looking Sonic. I loved it. Really, my only beef with the film is uh, Tika Sumter's character, Maddie, uh, James Marsden's wife. I did love the chemistry between her and Marsden. The only thing I didn't get was why her sister, Rachel, so hell bent on her getting a divorce from James Marsden's character. Um, cause she even says herself, like she's, he supported, he worked two jobs while she was going through veterinary school and all this stuff. So even before he became the most wanted man in America for punching out Jim, Jim Carrey's Robotnik, like, why was she trying to, why was she trying so hard to get her to leave him? That, that's the only thing that didn't make sense to me. Like yeah. only thing. Like we get maybe get a little more look into that backstory. Like, yeah, if this if this whole plot line would have been laid after he became the most wanted man in America during this uh, 
during this film and make a little more sense, but she's like laying the seeds of her trying to leave him before that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you leaning so hard on this? He's a James Morrison's character is a great guy. Why would you do that? But I, that would be my only flaw. It's a fun film, not an Oscar winner, but it's fun. And I have that, I had that nostalgia factor growing up with the Sonic games on Sega. More of a Mario guy, but I still have love for Sonic too. Can't say it's, I've never played Sonic the Hedgehog. I know of it, um, but I was neck deep in Mario and Nintendo, and so (laughs) it wasn't a console I've grown, so I never played the game. Well, you look at some of the in my I got I'm a I'm almost a decade older than you almost not quite but you look at some of the movies we had based off of superhero franchises or not superhero franchises based off comic or uh, video game franchises Super Mario Brothers movie <laughs> Street Fighter Mortal Kombat Resident Evil not the most uh, honest to the source material true to the source material <laughs> films out there. <laughs> No. So this was a pretty damn good attempt. And you could tell the director, writer director had a love for the franchise he was dealing with. So it was handled with love. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they went to this through all the work to redesign Sonic to look more like Sonic shows they this movie had some TLC with it. It just wasn't shit out to make a buck off of kids that grew up in the 80s and 90s that wanted to see Sonic on the big screen finally. Mm. Yeah. I can I can respect that absolutely, but yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a my cup of tea movie, so <laughs> but, menus at restaurants. Yep. That's it. So what is your uh lucky number 7? My number seven is The Gentleman. And this one stars... uh, Now, there's a whole list of people, but I'm just going to name, like, two out of however many. (laughs) Uh, It stars Charlie Hunnam and Matthew McConaughey. And it's about... um, He's an American businessman who wants to sell off his highly profitable marijuana empire in London... And this triggers plots, schemes, bribery, and blackmail, all in an attempt to steal his domain right out from under him. And I thought it was um, it was a clever film. I thought it was um, I, I, it was another one where I was pretty engaged with it from the beginning to the end. And um, it was certainly it. I found it to be a bit of a, a different film because there were so many different things happening and different scenarios and people involved. And um, I thought I thought it was a it was a decent film. It was uh, it was fun. So all I can add to the conversations. I'm not ready to talk about this film yet. <laughs> well, then what's your number seven? <laughs> <laughs> My number seven is another film we've already talked about, and that is Babysitter Killer Queen. Okay. And I can sum it up my love for this movie in one phrase. <laughs> you fucking stud, Cole. I ain't even mad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this film, I think, was the, just like the, the other babysitter film. It's a film that you just 
shut off your brain and just sit and you just turn your brain off for an hour and a half and then just and go for, go on along for the ride. It is fun. Yeah. Like Sonic the Hedgehog, it's not an Oscar winner, but it's so goddamn fun. Um, Judah, like some of the performances are aren't as good, but I think it's played a lot more tongue in cheek. Um, when people look at these films, they usually say uh, Samara Weaving is steals the show, and oh god, is she a knockout? And I'm going to be talking about more her later on in this list too. Um, but uh, I always thought Robbie and Mel was very undersold in this film and in the first film because he he's, he does not he does not want anything to sell he just wants to go out and kill people and he has fun with it and that's Robbie Amell just cracked me up and he first came onto my radar on the flash as one half of firestorm so I had much knowledge of him so I've, I've really that's all I've really seen him in is this and these films and the flash and the arrow arrowverse stuff and he is just so goddamn fun in these films. Like when he first comes back, he's like, "Woo! It feels good to be killed people again." <laughs> but just at the end, when it, when the great reveal is that they need the blood of a virgin to uh, to make this work, the whole thing work, um, and it reveals that uh, Cole's not a virgin anymore because of is it Phoebe, I believe it is, which I believe uh, her character Jenna Ortega uh, was. I believe it's Phoebe was a better love interest than Emily Allen Lynn's character. Um, I thought they had, I thought she had a better chemistry with uh, Judah Lewis than the blonde did from the first film, which is kind of disappointing that they, and, and I've heard, I've seen the flaws of this film pointed out on other sources, like on YouTube, I think on the kill count and everything um, on dead meat's channel. Um, kind of lost my train of thought there, but yeah, that, that, these films aren't Oscar worthy performances at all. It's just, it's just turn your brain off and have fun. And I do love, uh, you get Samara weaving in small doses in this film. And I think it works pretty well. I do like her coming out of the, out of the water at the end. And this whole reveal, it is, it, it's kind of a, a Mr. Plastics type stretch of how this all ties together. But, some of the characters like Robbie Mel have such fun with their performances. Like, I think he knows the movie he's making and he's just having fun with it all the way. Mm. And, uh, so I think, uh, even characters like Christopher Wilde's character who plays, uh, Emily Lynn's father, that makes it too much, I think. But, um, like his character served no purpose in either film. I thought, mm. but, um, I thought I think if more people treated their roles like uh, Samara Weaving and Robbie Amell did, I think that would be a much better film. I think and Judah Lewis is good in it too. He, he, Cole hasn't changed much from the first film to the second film. I don't think so. He's still much prince to Cole. We know, know and love. He's just matured more. But uh, yeah, it's it's good. Turn your brain off and enjoy film. Yeah. And if if they do do a third babysitter film, I'll, I'll watch it. But. It doesn't leave me wanting more, but even though it's set up for a third one because money. <laughs> really? I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> no, I, it, I, it's, it, it's good to turn your brain off and enjoy humor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, I, I did enjoy the film, but I think 
for making this list, I was sort of, okay, where am I, am I going to put this on the list? And it kind of got bumped out with a few other films. So it, it was, it, it was a little bit of a disappointment, but like you said, it's, it's the turn your brain off and just watch for pure entertainment. And it's, it, it kind of gets bonkers and it's just, you know, it, it's fun. And I, I especially like the first one too. So, yeah. So, uh, what is your number six? My number six is Guns Akimbo. And this stars Daniel Radcliffe. And he's a video game developer slash internet troll. And he gets himself caught up in a live stream deathmatch. And he gets um, guns attached to his hands. And he's ha- he basically has to fight him fight his way out of this. And he's up against somebody who hasn't been beaten yet. And he also has to, in the process, save his ex-girlfriend who gets caught up, who gets kidnapped. And this movie is bonkers from beginning to end. <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers and it's fun. And it's it's one of those... It is a little bit of one of those, like, you turn your brain off and just watch for the entertainment, but it, it is, a, it's a fun, bonkers film, and I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yes, and where, where did you end up finding this film? Because it was one I wanted to watch, but I never got around to it. This one was, I want to say, I think Amazon Prime? I'm not sure. <laughs> Either Amazon or... I think it might have been Amazon, actually, yeah. Because I don't remember it being on Netflix. So that's that's I where I found that one. I don't remember either. And I, I thought it might have been on Shudder at one point, but I must have confused it with uh, Mayhem with uh, Stephen Young and uh, Samara Weaving. That's another bonkers film. I really like that one. <laughs> but uh, is this the this the Daniel is this the Daniel Radcliffe film where it's like a popular meme now of him in the bathrobe looking all crazy and shit? Yeah, where the there's like, the coming coming out of twenty twenty like. Yeah, or or um. I think it's apocalypse outfit. What you thought it was would it look would um, what you thought it would look like, like your expectations, and it's Mila Jovovich in Resident Evil, and then you got and but the reality in Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> with his fuzzy slippers and bathrobe. <laughs> it's like it's my favorite meme ever. <laughs> It's definitely what I'm said I missed out on for the sure, but I'll have to try to find it somewhere. Yeah, it, it's got to be somewhere um, where you'd be able to find it. So I, I definitely recommend watching it. It's it's bonkers. <laughs> it seems bonkers. to be the theme. It seems it's a very fitting theme for 2020 is bonkers. How, how we, take a so. shot every time we say bonkers in this review, in this episode. <laughs> I I find that these, like the, the films that I, I found... Uh, for making this list, which um, I had to make sure that, yes, they did come out this year. Um, Because I I ran into a few issues with that one. But anyway, these films were all unique in themselves. I found them to be very different and not a rehash of something else or a reboot of something. 
And so I really enjoyed that. So that's kind of the theme where it being bonkers, take a shot, and unique in the, in the film. So And this one, Guns Akimbo, was it's definitely a, a unique story and just a lot of fun. So. Well, uh... Daniel Radcliffe seems to be on a very similar path that Elijah Wood is on, where he's doing all these weird-ass independent horror films. Because wasn't he also in one called Swiss Army Man, where he's dead? Yeah. I haven't seen that one, but yeah, I think he was was in that one, yeah. (laughs) I know Elijah Wood, Iowa native Elijah Wood, represent, he's been doing a lot of weird ass independent horror movies too like a, a remake of maniac and he did one i really love called cooties which is like a horror comedy and then he did uh what's this newest one he just did uh come to daddy or daddy's home or something like that okay. i'll say it's like come to daddy or something like that it looked trippy it looked like mandy meets daddy's home <laughs> from the <laughs> i saw it on a kill count it looked weird Okay. But it, it seems like Daniel Rack. It seems like Daniel Radcliffe has been on that on that kick of since Harry Potter ended, where he's doing these weird independent horror movies. Where he's yeah, I guess he's trying to break away from being Harry Potter his whole life. I think so, and and do different things because a lot of his life was Harry Potter. He grew up throughout those films. Like he started as a young kid, and then he you know so I, I could I could definitely see that. Like he's done a lot of different plays and things and you know different independent films and and why not like you know you you don't have to just because you found a lot of fame and a lot of people know who you are doesn't mean you have to do like the hundred million dollar films right so it's kind of cool that he's he's sort of doing other stuff however weird it may be (laughs) yeah it was all it's also what horns and Woman in Black, or yeah, the Woman in Black. Yeah, I haven't seen any of them, but I, I just know his face is plastered on it. But good for him, like, hey, he's he made his he made his money off of Harry Potter. Now he can do what he wants now and do all this weird fun shit. Like he's not he's not doing it for a job. He's doing hey, this looks like this looks like fun. I'll I'll give it a shot. And I think that's probably his his mentality too. Is it's just this looks like a lot of fun to do, so I'm gonna do it. And um. And actually, this was the only one, the only other film besides Harry Potter that I had actually seen him in. I haven't seen his other films. So it was kind of interesting to see him in a completely different role. And, and I really enjoyed um, him in this film. So it was, it was good. Well, you can't fault the guy for wanting to do something fun, I guess, right? Well, exactly. Why not? If you if you find a role that you think is going to be fun, you take the opportunity and uh, and run with it, you know. And I think that's in it. And it, I, you know, I like when when it shows that an actor's having fun with the role. You know, you know they're they're having a friggin' blast with it. So and I, and I think it it kind of shows that Daniel's having fun with this. So um, you know, it really shows that he's he's having fun. And then I think then that's how you have fun with the film because it just you know the the movie itself is just a blast. So, um, like Rob, like Robbie and Mel and Killer Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, what's your number six? My number six is completely similar in every way, 
And that is Phineas and Ferb, the movie Candidates Against the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. Uh, this is a movie I found on Disney Plus. Um, I to tell a little quick backstory. I grew up. My favorite cartoon as a child was Rocco's Modern Life, and uh, the creators of that, Jeff Swampy Marsh, went on to create this cartoon years later called Phineas and Ferb which I just love to death. Thanks to my buddy, Jacob Capay, who introduced me to this cartoon. It is just so goddamn funny. And, um, they ended up releasing a movie this year on Disney plus, And it's, it focuses mostly around Candace, uh, their sister, who's always focused on busting her brothers, catching all her brother, Phineas and Ferber, like these little kid wonderkins who just create all these awesome inventions and stuff. And they always miraculously disappear before their mom gets home and the sister Candace can bust them. So it it's not really telling a different story. It still revolves Candace, around Candace wanting to bust her brothers in the act of doing all this stuff. But she starts to go like, uh, like a little woe was me type of thing. I just want to find my place in the, like the, you, the universe is against me because I can never bust my brothers. So these aliens pick her up and also Dr. Doofenshmirtz is, uh, daughter vanessa and i believe the main alien is played by katie sackoff and she's just fucking hilarious in this role um seems like 2020 has really been the year the last couple years have been the year of katie sackoff between this and the flash and the mandalorian mm-hmm. but um it's just a fun it's just like an extended Phineas and ferb episode it has a lot of that quirky humor you like random little kid humor but still like it's not low brow where adults weren't, aren't going to roll your eyes. At. It's still pretty damn funny. And Dr. Doofenshmirtz, who is my favorite character in the show, provides a lot of that humor. And watching him, instead of bouncing off Perry the Platypus for a change, he's bouncing off of uh, Isabella, one of, the, one of the kids, because they all team up together to go get their daughter and sister back. And it's still getting it funny. And then when these aliens pick up Candace to make her feel like she is important... Lo and behold, the aliens are up to no good. Big shocker. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's got like it's got <laughs> random jokes in it where like one of the running jokes is uh Candace is the sound that these aliens make when they explode. And these like, aliens explode and they get excited. So the, <laughs> there's this the third act is when they're trying to fight out they find out the aliens are up to no good because they're trying to steal oxygen from Candace to make their make these evil spores and help the evil queen keep these people in check and enslave people. But uh part of the third act takes place in the baseball stadium and uh, Candace steals a t shirt gun and he's shooting T shirts to all the alien <laughs> alien soldiers and they're getting all excited to call it a T shirt and they explode. You're Candace Candace <laughs> As they explode. <laughs> so it's great to see these this, these inside jokes pay off. And it's running jokes. And every time you hear Candace, 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 when these aliens are exploding, it never stops being funny. <laughs> I, and there's, I can't remember. Uh, there was something I was referencing after a while where, okay, after a while, the 
I believe me and you were talking about something after a while where, okay, the, after a while, the joke gets a little old. Do you remember what it was? Uh, it was the Grinch. And it was... Um, the, scr- the yelling goat. The, the yelling goat. Yeah. Yes. The screaming goat from the Illumination Grinch film. Like, I, the first time it's funny. And after a while, it's like, okay, okay. It's like, uh, holy grail. Move on with it. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> but the Candace joke with the aliens exploding doesn't get old for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> and even so- Dr. Dupin but it. Uh, and then a part of the film where Dr. Doofenshmirtz, if you watch the show, he has all these weird, weird fucking inventions that end in Nader. And his he's got a, a chicken replacement inator where you, you shoot the gun at something. It replaces with the closest chicken in the universe. <laughs> and so they decide that they keep... Shooting the same chicken that's on the planet with them, so they can't get back. So they keep replacing stuff with the same chicken. So they decided <laughs> they had to get rid of that chicken. So he has an accidentator to get rid of the chicken. Well, accidents do happen, implying <laughs> <laughs> that he's going to kill the chicken. But it's if if you are a fan of Phineas and Ferb. You will love this movie. It's on Disney Plus. I I highly recommend checking it out. I didn't get a chance to to get a rewatch on it, like go in more depth with it, but it is fun. Mm. It sure sounds like an absolute blast of a movie. I, I'd say you you get a more appreciation out of the film if you are a fan of the show to begin with going in. Yeah, I haven't seen. I know of Phineas and Ferb, but I it's not a show I've ever watched. So. I'd recommend watching some of the show before watching the movie because you're gonna it'll it'll give you an, a general idea what to expect going into it, like okay. the tongue and cheek humor and the kind the type of humor it is. Okay. Not, you don't necessarily don't don't necessarily be a fan of Jeff Marsh Jeff Bobby Marsh's sense of humor from Rocco to get it. Watch Phineas and Ferb before you watch the film. It'll give you like a general idea of like what to expect out of the film. It's just like an extended episode, but so okay. well done. Okay. Well, I definitely have to do it because I want to I wanna see this movie. It sounds just hilarious. So I, I definitely want to check it out. But I'll, I'll watch some episodes first before doing that. It, is, it was a cartoon I discovered, I think, probably in my 20s. So early adulthood, I discovered Loved it. It's a it's a cartoon I loved as an adult and still continue to like fifteen years later still enjoy it. <laughs> so now we've reached the top five. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> everybody. This is when we no longer go past a thousand downloads. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep downloading, just never let Jared sing again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Melissa, what is your number five? My number five is Birds of Prey, The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. And um, I actually got to see... Well, we, we both did. We got to see this one in the theater before things went down. And um, 
I found it to be a very fun film. My only complaint being that there wasn't enough of the Birds of Prey themselves as a group doing, like, fighting and being badass. <laughs> um, that That's my only complaint about the film. But other than that, it's I think it's a lot of fun. And I, I kind of like how, like, it was sort of like the storytelling of Harley Quinn you know, remembering things and, oh, we need to start here, but then we need to go back there. And and uh, it's just, you know, a, a really fun, um, it was a really fun film and, and I, I enjoyed it. Uh, like earlier, I'm not ready to talk about this film yet. <laughs> so what's your number five? Well, I am ready to talk about The Gentleman, though. <laughs> <laughs> My number five is the my, my number five is the gentleman. It's uh, one of the three films I got to see in theaters before everything went to shit. And uh, I think this is this type of film, much like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. This is Guy Ritchie in his wheelhouse, where he is firing on all cylinders and hitting a surefire classic. Um, you mentioned Charlie Hunnam and Matthew McConaughey earlier. They are so many stars in this movie. Also, Colin Farrell and Hugh Grant. Yes. But I'd also go on to say that of all the stars in this film, the ones that shine the brightest are Charlie Hunnam and Hugh Grant, especially the dialogue between them. Most of the film revolves around the banter back and forth between them, and it is so damn good. What? It's just little back and forth. The whole time, and Hugh Grant like laying in the innuendo, like kind of flirting with him the whole time, <laughs> like milking him along. Yeah. And when you find out later in the film that Charlie Hunnam was like kind of milking him all along, trying to get information out of him, so damn good. Those two worked off off each other so damn well. And I just love, and I've only really known Charlie Hunnam from uh, Sons of Anarchy prior to this, um, but I did love seeing him in this film. Uh, especially when they're tra- they're chasing on those three kids to get the cell phones and everything, <laughs> he <laughs> whips out that machine, that Uzi, <laughs> fires all those shots in the air, yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> he, he plays like a good gangster gangster type in Sons of Anarchy. It's more more of a gang banger gang member, but he plays a he makes the transition into a, a more suave gangster gang uh, mafia gangster member so well in this film he pulls off that suave gangster look so well he Absolutely. nailed it and i and i do love hugh grant as he's another actor i do kind of enjoy like even in those make you want to puke rom-coms that he's in he's always still pretty funny in those too i can't remember which because he's got that quirky snappy humor too i can't remember which film it's he did a chick flick with uh, Sir Jessica Parker. Like, did you hear about the Morgans or? Oh yeah, something so, something some, along that. And he something along that. And he was also in uh, Bridget Jones' Diary. Those or Mickey Blue Eyes or Notting Hill. Like, yeah, he did a lot of those. Ro- make you want to puke rom coms in the '90s and stuff. But he was always still like, that humor was still pretty good in this, and he carries it over to this kind of film. Mm-hmm. He's so goddamn funny in it and uh and i can't skip not talk about this film and not mention uh colin farrell the the little he like he's well, i would say he's in the film a 
whole lot, but he's on it very little. But I do love some of his delivery. And, like, oh, and I, I think my favorite line from him is when he's confessing. I do like the approach that he is, um, how he goes, instead of hiding all of what his boys did, he's like going to Charlie Hunnam and said, hey, my boys did this. They're just kids. I'm trying to protect these kids. Uh, I'm willing to make it up to you and all this stuff. And I didn't know and all this shit. And I love the line where he, and the, I've done some gangster stuff, but I'm not a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> I've done some gangster shit, but I'm not a gangster. <laughs> and he ends up, and at the end, he ends up saving Charlie. They go three, three stocks. I'm out. And he ends up saving Charlie Hunnam's ass at the end of the film, which is pretty, pretty cool. And going into that, it, jumping off right there, the film ties up so brilliantly. So you got all these threads spinning and it ties up so beautifully at the end here with the Russians being tied into it all at the, kid being thrown out the window it just ties in so well so yeah. the this story that hugh grant was spinning so Hugh grant's got all these stories spinning right here and then you got mcconaughey his plot line intertwined so everything intertwined so all these got all these wheels turning and they all interweave so well together at the end it's mm-hmm. guy Ritchie. these kind of films that you do like this and snatch and block stock two smoking barrels this is your wheelhouse. Not to say that anything else you do isn't great, but this is his wheelhouse. This is where he's firing all cylinders, and it shows very yeah. well. It, it almost feels like this movie kind of fell by the wayside in 2022. Like it just kind of came and went. Yeah, I think so too. Like it was, it was out, and people I feel like were kind of hyped about it, and then it just kind of fell off the map for a little bit. Like well, I, I noticed well, that. Because I, I wanted to see it in the theater, but I didn't get to because it was... I think it was only there for maybe a couple weeks, and then it was gone. And which is kind of abnormal for films. Like, usually they're there for a little bit longer than that. And so, yeah, by the time I wanted to see it, and it, it wasn't there. So um, I ended up seeing it on... I think it was Netflix is where I saw The Gentleman. And uh absolutely loved it. Like, I, I just... I, I, I did wonder, like, okay, you've got so many things going. How are you going to put this all together? And it got pieced together so well. Like, the, it couldn't have pieced it together any better. And uh, brilliantly done. I, I, I enjoyed... I, I don't think there's really anybody who stands out to me because I loved everybody's performance. Like, they all did so well. Well, every, everybody is great, but I just say like the Charlie Hunnam and Hugh Grant. Yeah. Shine, there's a lot of stars, but those two shine the brightest. Yeah. In a in a in a star, in a sky full of bright stars in this film, it Mm-mm. those two just shine the brightest out of all the stars in this film. Like McConaughey turns in a good performance. The guy who plays his wife, uh, who's I can't I should have done the name of the actor. The Dana Carvey look Dana Carvey looking guy who's playing like the <laughs> main villain who does it all. Even like. Uh, even the bodyguards in this film to McConaughey and Hunnam play good roles to the little actress. They're going to rescue from the, the loft. Mm -hmm. Everybody just plays so well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, a a great film. Um, I had a train of thought, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) uh, what is your number four? 
My number four is Wonder Woman 1984. Um, I, I fucking love this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. I know it's gotten... It's it's gotten torn apart by a lot of people, um, but those people just you know don't have much taste, so that's okay. <laughs> Shot, shots fired. <laughs> but anyway, I thought it was it was a good film, and um, I I thought it was it was beautifully done, and um, I also really like that. Like Chris Pine's character, he wasn't like obviously he was there, but he wasn't sort of he, he wasn't forced in the, like he didn't feel forced in a film like he had to be there, but it was a nice part of the story, and you know the the main villain um, Max Lord, I I liked him, I thought he was great. He's just this kind of cheesy salesman kind of guy with his catchphrases and you know, and and then he he really you know becomes the, this villain, and I I really enjoyed that. And of course Gal Gadot, she was amazing as always. <laughs> but the the movie itself was beautiful in the sense of just it being a completely different story. It it continued on the story, but they weren't rehashing the from what you saw previously. It just continued it so well and really built a solid foundation of story and the characters were great and that, and I really liked the story and especially the the person that shone really really bright for me was uh Kristen Wiig's character. Kristen Wiig did a fucking amazing job. Like, I personally, I'm not, I'm not I, I do like her, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of her because she kind of tends to play sort of the same characters. But in this film, she brought the best performance and I friggin' loved it. So... Yeah, I, I thought the film itself was an absolute blast. It was a lot of fun. There was a little bit of heart to it. There was, you know, it was it was a fine balance of humor and heart. And, yeah, but the, the biggest thing for me was Kristen Wiig's character and Kristen Wiig's performance. Just amazing. I am not ready to talk about this film yet. I sound like a broken record. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your number four I'm going to call an audible here <laughs> I'm ready to talk about Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn <laughs> okay what do you have to say about I, it I just made a call at the line of scrimmage here um, <laughs> sitting, I, you just made me rethink my whole list Melissa way to go Twist. Well, <laughs> well, I agree with what you said with Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn. Um, it is a really, really fun movie. And um, I've said it on numerous occasions. I love Margot Robbie. She could star in a detailed shot-for-shot movie depicting my death step by 
gruesome detailed step, I would still be there at prime time opening night, that Thursday night, front row center, ready to watch this film. Because she was born to play Harley Quinn. She is just so damn good in that role. And but she's also not the other the biggest star in the film. Uh, there's so many other good performances. Um, and like you said, that is a big piece. We don't get to see more of them together. We don't get to see that until late in the third act. Mm-hmm. And especially with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a huntress. Um, because I absolutely love how socially awkward she plays huntress. Like, because this girl who was was raised in this rich crime family that gets when her family's assassinated, she's taken away to live with these assassins in Italy. She's going to come back and this all, that's all she knows. So she's going to be socially awkward and she played it so well. I haven't seen Mary Elizabeth Winston a whole lot of she's, I know she's popped up in one of the shitty black Christmas remakes. I know she's been in uh is it Scott Pilgrim versus the universe? Uh, um, I know she's, I know. Is she in Scott Pilgrim? I'm not sure. Maybe. I, um, I'm with her work um, all that much. Other I know. Than- I know. I know she's in the Thing remake or reboot. Cool. Whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> it's supposed to be a, a prequel to John Carpenter's a thing, but she's okay in that but I, I love her performance as the huntress in this because I just love how how socially awkward she plays it and when I'm talking to like my my riffs friends I always like to use the sure gift that she uses in that too. <laughs> or how or how she's laughing at uh journey Smollett at the end where she gets her car stuck she starts laughing while they're sitting in the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I do love their the performances, and I do love Chris Messina, Zaz. I was getting in a discussion with somebody about how how well, how his portrayal of Zaz was. I go, yeah, he's not he's not playing the textbook psychopath that Zaz is in the comics, mm-hmm. but he does play Zaz as a psychopath who's strange. Like he still has the scars over his body, but he still kind of creeps you out. Mm-hmm. He's like, like the weird, like the how how he is with uh, Roman Sionis. How he like he's blowing kiss. He like does the kissy lips to Journey Smollett's Black Canary, or how he's the way he just talks. He's just so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just gives you a creepy crawly, but so he, he still plays that level of crazy. He still cuts the faces off. He's still carving scars. We don't. I, if anything, yeah, I'd love to see him play a little bit more of that textbook Zaz, that comic book Zaz that we all know, like crazy. Now, I wish it would have, like, I wish they would have shown him, like, cutting the scars into him more. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess showing them at the end to the Harley, yeah, that was a nice nod, but I wish we, like, would have gotten him, like, maybe putting a few on his arms or whatever or on his legs to show after, like, he off the golden lions family members like okay that mm-hmm. to give a little more nod a little more a little more crazy and but uh but i really think that uh ewan mcgregor steals the show as black mask and Absolutely. the scene the scene i 
we talk about uh, actors having fun, like Daniel Radcliffe and Guns Akimbo, or Robbie Mel and Killer Queen, is Ewan McGregor is having so much goddamn fun in this movie. He is. You could tell. Uh-huh. Like whether when he's giving Black Canary the the tour of a, all of his mask, look at his little ears or all that stuff. But <laughs> the one scene that sealed the deal for me is when he just snaps and gets that girl, Erica, get on the table, Erica. <laughs> like when he just snaps, yeah, he just gets it gets really like even it's like the most uncomfortable seeing that film too it's like oh shit like yeah what's the dang what's what's the dang cook joke daddy just hit mommy at the dinner table and we're still trying to eat like it's that kind of awkward silence but it it portrays that level of bipolar that we know black mass to be Mm -hmm. yeah i that that scene too for me sealed it for for his character and performance because he he really plays this kind of, you know, suave sort of guy, whatever. But then he just almost snap of the fingers, and he just, you know, he he has that intimidation, that that little bit of power about him, and it's yeah, it suddenly becomes really uncomfortable. Like, oh boy, you you really don't want to mess with him on any level. <laughs> You know, and um, yeah, I I really I really liked his his character a lot. I loved it. Like he just he he and, it, and like you said, it really shows he's having fun with it. Like he's really enjoying being this character. And and uh, yeah, I I do have some nitpicks with the film, like very minor nitpicks. Like yeah. uh, I I don't want to start any. Uh, political debates here so i'm going to say my biggest thing with the film is that we're not going to get more with black mask because they killed him at the end mm-hmm. that'd be my only biggest thing is they killed him off because i'd love i would love to see him more in the mask but mm-hmm. we're we're paying for you and mcgregor so we're going to show you and mcgregor's face as much as we can it's like <laughs> robert Downey jr and iron man we're paying for that face we're going to you're going to see that face as much as possible but i'd say probably Minor nitpicks aside, the biggest nitpick I have with the film is that they kill off Black Mask so we don't get to see more of his performance because that's how good he was. I just wanted to see so much more of Ewan McGregor as Black Mask and we're not going to get it. Yeah, that that kind of, that, that did make me sad too. Because it, it would have been really great to see him do more. And yeah, even if he doesn't wear, you know, even if he doesn't wear the mask, whatever, he can still be that incredible character and it would have been really great to see more of him but that's okay um i know my little my i guess like what when i mentioned before about not you know seeing enough of like the group doing their thing i felt that the story like i i know it's is hardly storytelling where she's remembering things and trying to sort of piece together a story so i i kind of get that but I really wish that would have started a little bit earlier in the film because that would have been amazing to see. And it was in the film. Like, that was great to see them all together and doing their thing. Um, but then the other one, my little nitpick was, um, I think it's uh, Black Canary who does that, like, screech. Oh, the Canary Cry? The Canary Cry, canary, canary cry that's it. 
and that was really kind of out of the out of the blue <laughs> it was like oh she can do this so like i'm not really familiar with these characters that well so it was sort of oh she can suddenly do this and so that that was something that that really wasn't explained other than oh i know you can it was some line something along the lines of oh you know i know you can do this and she she does it and okay so that, those are little things but overall the, the film was fun it's it's touched upon when montoya meets with her when she becomes the driver yeah you have the same ability as your mother did um I can't, I have, yeah, I do have that same thought too. I, I do agree with that. And I can't take full credit for this thought because I heard it on Holy Backcast with uh, Andy saying, if this would have been, because yes, Black Canary can do, can do that. It just feels like it comes out of nowhere because it's not touched on more than just that throwaway line. Yeah. In the first, in the first third of the film. And maybe they kind of touch on it a little bit when she breaks the glass when she's singing the club. But had she used it once before, or had it been re- touched on more? Yeah. But at the same time, it also doesn't feel like um, it fits in the world that they've created because she's the only meta mm-hmm. there. So it doesn't feel like it fits. Yeah, I, I agree. But. Eh, I, th- I think it's minor, minor details. So, it's... so yeah, yeah, if if they would have set up, if they would have established a world that this is like a world where metas do exist, well, they do exist, like Superman, all of them exist in this world, but she's the only meta in this group because this takes place in a post-Suicide Squad world where the care people like her do exist, but the Canary Cry wasn't handled very well. They saved it till the third act. They would have, and I think Andy even said somebody he went and saw it with, they were confused by the canary cry too. Yeah. Had they established more that she can do that, it wouldn't have felt so out of place. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking about that episode because I listened to that one and I, I really enjoyed that one. And yes, and I was in kind of the same place as Andy's friend, like not really knowing the other characters, obviously knowing Harley Quinn. But not really knowing these other characters, so it really came out of nowhere, like I sort of mentioned before. So, but eh, I can I can shove that aside and love the movie for what well, it is. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe if they would have maybe if they would have done what they do in the Arrowverse shows and given her like a uh, like a medallion or something like that, they can do the cry instead of having it be an actual metahuman. But yeah. you have it's that's just the only thing about having her be the only metahuman against amongst all these other humans. That's the only thing. It just, yeah. If you're not paying attention or know the character ahead of time, it just, it can come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Well, like what was that? That's weird. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know Black Canary's abilities, or you weren't paying attention to that line the begin the first third of the film, you're not going to know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Still a good movie, so if anybody has not seen the film, definitely. It is it is fun. Do not let it's for some reason 2020, 2021, it's still popular to shit on DC properties. Give it a watch. It is a fun movie. It it's 
oh, it's a ripoff of Deadpool. It's not, if you know the history, this is something that Margot Robbie had been wanting to do. She'd been wanting to do a DC girls movie since Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And Suicide Squad came out the same year as the first Deadpool film. So this has been in the work, something that Margot had had in the works since around time of Deadpool. Mm. Lots of similarities to Deadpool. I would not call it a direct ripoff. No, absolutely not. So, and this is a good DC film for all you people that shit on DC and think DC is too dark. <laughs> absolutely. This is this is a little more lighthearted, I would say, for for DC. So it'll it'll it's, appeal to those who don't like the dark stuff. <laughs> and if not, then you're like that notebook meme with DC. What do you want? (laughs) This film, BVS is too dark. Man of Steel is too dark. Justice League is too light. What do you want? (laughs) (laughs) So I think we've we've each given a fair review of the film. Now let's move on to our number three. We're getting close to one. So what's your number? Yeah, what is your number three? My number three is Enola Holmes. And this stars uh, Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill and uh, Helena Bonham Carter. And it's about, it's the sister of Sherlock Holmes and she's kind of a young teenager who, she has the same sort of um, deductive reasoning skills as her brother. And her, the, the story is um, her mother goes missing and Enola has to figure out what happened and how to find her and so there's clues and things and she kind of gets a little bit of help from her brother Sherlock um but it's a lot of her and what I really liked about this film was that she there was a lot of fourth wall breaks you kind of you were on the adventure with Enola um along the way she also has to save a a lord um a young lord who it has stuff going on and so she's doing that while also trying to find her mother and it's got a lot of heart it is a lot of fun and a lot of charm to it um i i really enjoyed the film i thought it was a lot of fun and, and different and i really liked um henry cavill's portrayal of of a a version of sherlock holmes i think he gave he still had sort of that disconnectedness that sherlock has like he's he's a little bit um just neutral in a lot of things but i think he also gave him heart gave him gave him some humanity and um really did did a great great job with that role and millie bobby brown did amazing as enola and um, it, it really looked like she was having a lot of fun with this film and the character and the, the adventure that her character was going on. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. This was one I had to go back and watch because I forgot this was even a, a thing this year. It just kind of <laughs> fell off my radar because so much shit was going out, going out, coming out. And I go, yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? It much was. like, uh, much like, uh, what'd you mention earlier? Just much like the old guard. This is like another film that exploded all over social media once it came out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it this was, is one. I'm, 
this is one I want to go back and check out since yeah. I, I do love me some Helena Bonham Carter and Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. I it's a, it's a great film. It's it's super fun, and uh, it was one that I I didn't hear of until very recently and a lot of people were were loving on it and saying watch this watch this and so finally got around to watching it and it's it's such a charming film um i think you'd i think you'd really enjoy it and i think many others would enjoy it as well i'll definitely add that to my short list of films to watch though but uh how do you how does it compare since you're the sherlock holmes fan how does it compare to the Guy Ritchie, Sherlock Holmes films of Robert Downey Jr. Definitely. Um, I mean, this one was... It, it has its moments of dark. Um, but it's definitely more lighthearted. A lighthearted approach to it. Um, like, lighthearted and funny and... You know, a little bit of dark, but not a lot of it. Whereas, like, Guy Ritchie's Sherlock is very gritty. It's... A little bit more towards like the sort of time period that Sherlock Holmes exists in. Um, there's obviously a little bit more violence and darkness about each story, um, but I mean, I, I love, I, I really love the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes. I really, really love it. I think they're they're two really great films, and this one. You know, no different. I really liked it. I mean, I, I enjoy Sherlock Holmes in the different incarnations because I think everybody brings their own uniqueness to it. And, yeah, um, I think it's it, it ranks up there with me. I think it's, you know, if I want... It's, it's kind of the, if you know, if I want the more dark and gritty Sherlock, then I'm going to watch Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes. If I want a little more lighthearted and fun, I'm going to go with Enola Holmes because it's just one of those kind of a little bit warm and fuzzy, fun, you know, let's just go on an adventure and, and um, you know, have a great time. So, yeah. Nice. And Henry Cavill, I'm glad you're having fun, but get the fucking cape and cape back on in Zack Snyder's universe. (laughs) Maybe he'll listen to you and he'll do it. We never know. (laughs) Well, some guy from Iowa says that I need to get my fucking... (laughs) Well, if he says that in a press release, though, some guy from Iowa says I need to get back in the Cape McCall, they're going to instantly think Jason Momoa or Brendan Routh. (laughs) Yep. Not some amateur podcaster <laughs> who he's never heard of. <laughs> so what is, now that I've raved about um, Enola Holmes, what is your number three? Well, it's another film I'm ready to talk about, and that's Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I've shared my thoughts about it. I'm going to let you share your thoughts. Okay, well... I don't think we should reveal all of our thoughts completely on this because we'll be doing another episode on this later. Uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, this is a film I was really looking forward to. Now, super bummed the six thousand times it got delayed from November of ni- twenty nineteen. But um, I really, really liked it. I really enjoyed it. But the first time I watched the film. The only thoughts I had is, well, I need to watch this again. 
and that I loved Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig. And um, but other than that, I had no bad things to say about it. I just, I don't know what it was. I really liked it, but I didn't love it. Mm. And what really helped, I talked to my our friend Philip Barker about it too. And like he had the same thought. I asked him Christmas night. I'm like, what did you think about Wonder Woman? He's like, I need to watch it again. And that's like, I go, I had the exact same thought. I need to watch it again. And I started rewatching it and I fell asleep watching just because I was so tired because I was watching it late Christmas night. But I really was enjoying it more the second viewing because I went into the went into the the film, my second viewing, knowing it's not as good as the first one. And I saw our friend Guy Milks say that it's not as good as the first one, but it's really enjoyable. So with that mindset, I really enjoyed it more my second viewing. It is Gal is still beautiful and excellent as diana chris pine like you said he wasn't ham-fisted back into the plot it the way they bring him back works for the story they have set up um pedro pascal and kristen wig steal this film for me absolutely uh we're getting an overkill on pedro pascal right now between the mandalorian and What's this movie on Netflix? Uh, we can be superheroes or something like that. It's supposed to be like an offshoot of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Mm, yeah. And it's not an accurate portrayal of how Max Lord is in the comics, but I still love how it how it played out. Um, I was really hoping that Hades w- was going to play a part in this because of all that, but uh, no. But I'll go with it. But like you said, Kristen Wiig. Robin Minerva starts out much like a stereotypical Kristen Wiig character is like yeah. nerdy, socially awkward, quirky, but she trans once she makes that initial wish, I think it's like from the time she rips the door off the fridge, mm-hmm. we are seeing a character that Kristen Wiig does not normally play. Like, yeah. and by the time she, even before it's right when she's, Right before she turns and right before she makes that wish of being an apex predator, she turns into a badass bitch. And this is not something we're used to seeing her play. And I, I'm worried about this probably one of those why she took the role to begin with. Like, yeah, they're, yeah, these Disney and Disney and Warner Brothers are snatching up all these actors and actresses just so they can get their name attached to a, a superhero franchise. I have to believe Kristen had to take this role because this is not something she's used to be playing. Like, cause you look at Barbara Minerva in the first third of this film, how's it any different from the character she plays in knocked up ghostbusters or bridesmaids? How is that Barbara Minerva any different? Hmm. I think I, I will say compared to, to those other characters, um, I think she played this one a little bit more naturally. Like, it just seemed to be a little bit more, like, yeah, this is who she is. She's the nerdy, the awkward sort of person. But it was played a little more genuinely and naturally and not so sort of forced like in a lot of the other films, especially, like, Ghostbusters. A little bit of that is, it just seems a little bit. But, I mean, that's that's the character, but... 
In this, it just seemed more genuine. Well, and then, and, and she and she plays it well. She plays it well. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. her sense of humor. And then she going, just, going back to SNL. Yeah, and then she completely just flips the switch and becomes this badass, and it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. And uh, but so yeah, I, th- um, I think um, yeah, I, it was everybody. You know, did an amazing job. Like I had, I had mentioned before, but, um, you know, like yeah, like Kristen Wiig does an amazing job, and Pedro Pascal, amazing. Like they both shine in, in my eyes in this film. Um, amazing, amazing stuff, and and it does look like they're they're having fun with the characters too. So, you know, it's it's really nice to see. Um, like I said before, my only real big beef with the film, I've heard the opposite said about it, and that's the Linda Carter cameo. I yeah. saw that coming a mile away. Yeah. And if you know, some people didn't see it coming, but if you knew Linda Carter was in the film, they tease this character, they don't show her face. My first thought was, yep, there's Linda Carter. <laughs> Same here. That That was... The biggest thing I'm like, oh, this is coming. I it just I saw it a mile away, and then it sort of got sort of briefly hinted at, and then yeah, that was that was a little bit ruined. Like it wasn't a big surprise at the end of seeing her. I was like, uh huh, and I knew it was coming. Just waiting to to actually see her. So, um, yeah, that that's the only I would say to my complaint too about it was that that was sort of given away too early and it was obvious it's like that from the simpsons episode when they're the uh, bartley's are looking at the words waldo book and it's just waldo standing on a black blank page <laughs> yes. hey here's this character diane is talking about where we're not going to show her face hey isn't linda carter supposed to be in this movie <laughs> oh If if that's my only beef that I can have with it, I guess it's a small beef to have. I mean, mm-hmm. sound like a broken record with DC films that does not deserve the hate that it gets. Like, mm-hmm. Is it as good as the first one? No. But in hindsight, how many sequels are as good or better than the original? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. And, and it's like this film, you know, isn't as good as the first, but it's still a fun film. And I, and you know, I like that, you know, this was, you know, an, an original story that, you know, continued on from previous and they weren't just retelling the same story over again. So that was really great to see. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have more thoughts on Wonder Woman in a, in a future episode. So uh, what is your number two? What is your runner-up for 2020? My number two, my runner-up, is the movie Soul. And that just recently came out, and it's on Disney+. And it is about, it's about a musician who, he's also a music teacher, who's kind of, kind of down on it, down on his luck. He's kind of, he's lost his passion a little bit for music, and when that's really his biggest thing. And what he really wants to do is get a gig and be kind of 
have that journey and it doesn't happen and so he ends up as um he ends up in a coma and he becomes this little ghost spirit and this movie um this movie stars i forgot to mention it first uh jamie fox tina fey and graham norton and it is the most heartwarming um movie it 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 made me cry (laughs) and not many movies make me cry this one was just oh it pulls at the heartstrings and it just you're a blubbering mess at the end but it's so good it's a question of not really meaning of life but what's you know special to you in life and finding that spark again in 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 your life and then he also he becomes a the, when he's this little spirit character he meets another one who kind of has been lost she's been kind of kicked under the carpet she's been not well liked by others um she's maybe she she kind of beats to her own drum but in some ways it's not really a good way um so he's he mentors her and it's really funny because they end up back on earth and she ends up in his body and he ends up as a cat and just it, it goes the adventure goes from there and it's just so meaningful and heartwarming and and thought-provoking and very just very pixar disney movie and um i i loved it i really really loved it well if the memes are accurate on Facebook, it can't be a Pixar movie without a mom that has an absolute dump truck ass. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Even though they show the ant from Big Hero 6, which is not a Pixar movie, it's a Disney Animated Studios movie. If you're going to be nerdy, get your nerdy shit right. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that was that was my my number two film. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> um, Enola Holmes was actually my number two, and Soul bumped that down one. So <laughs> that was that was your bracket buster. Yep. Yeah, it's it definitely worth a watch, and um, like I said, it's on Disney Plus, and definitely check it out. I haven't gotten around to that one yet, but I know much like in old Holmes and the old guard, it's really something that kind of blew up social media once it came out and Sonic the Hedgehog and Invisible Man, like all those, you had to pick at least five films that broke the internet this year besides Wonder Woman 84. Soul is right up there. It all came out the same day. It came out Christmas Day, just like Wonder Woman did. So, mm-hmm. And that, that, yeah, both of them just, kind of blew up but i think soul was that little bit more though because it just has so much heart and charm to it and it, it yanks at your heartstrings man <laughs> but disney learned disney learned from the mistake of charging 30 bucks for milan exactly <laughs> so i've mentioned my number two what is yours uh, mine is Impractical Jokers the movie. 
Okay. This is a it's a bit of a shock to me because I just switched <laughs> three of my films around about twenty minutes ago. <laughs> um, this was the last. This was the last film I saw in theaters before everything shut down because of COVID. And uh, is it the most original film? No, it's much like I I do love *Impractical Joker* as a television show because I love my improv comedy. Um. And they found a pretty decent way to incorporate the show into a feature length. Because if you look at the Jackass films, it's just an hour and a half of those guys doing stunts with each other. It doesn't have an overall plot thread. This has the guys doing challenges to each other, but they they weave a story into it. And it involves around Paula Abdul, which I find fucking hilarious and paul abdul she's great in this film too <laughs> but uh if you want it's essentially just an hour and a half long version of the show with a, a plot tie a, a story tied around it and um so not much not much to write home about but the story starts off with the four guys at high they it flashes back to when they're in high school and they're playing even though they're in their 40s playing each other as high schoolers in this film <laughs> Going to, they sneak into a Paul Abdul concert and and absolutely sabotage the concert, and then flash and Abdul vows revenge on them. And flash forward fifteen years later, they are the Impractical Jokers as we know them now. And Abdul comes up to him in a in a restaurant and invites him to a her birthday party down in uh, Miami, but she only gives them three passes, and there's four of them. So they 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 still remember the whole incident, but she doesn't at first. Mm. So they decide since there's four of them and only three passes, they had to compete in hidden camera challenges to uh, see who doesn't go. Whoever gets the most losses doesn't get to go to the party and they go to Miami. So they make, it's a road trip comedy with the show tied around it. And uh, of course, they get to the party. Murs voted the loser because he lost the most challenges. <laughs> and um, when they get to the party, Paula Abdul remembers them because Murr screwed everything up by wearing the security jacket that they wore at the beginning of the film to the Paula Abdul concert when they're kids. He wore that jacket to the party, so Abdul recognizes them, and <laughs> chaos ensues from there. But it is uh, it is a fun damn film if you if you're a fan of the show i highly recommend it it's got some good laughs um and it's got a totally random ass cameo from will ferrell that i did, I did not catch in the theaters when i saw this in theaters <laughs> <laughs> three months later i'm sitting in my living room watching like what the fuck that's will ferrell in the background <laughs> <laughs> Wolf, Wolf, if you look at the, one of these scenes when Murr is walking around Miami, reminis- like looking back, because Joe, Sal, and Q are at Paul Abdul's party. Murr is just walking around Miami, reflecting on everything, and you look, they they stop on these three girls, like, I think that's Murr. And in the background, Will Ferrell is sitting there eating pizza. <laughs> like it's, the, the shot holds long enough for you to tell that it it's Will Ferrell, but it, it is... So goddamn funny, but some of the challenges they do are so goddamn funny. Like they, they have like they go to this cave and they have 
Joe crawl out looking like a gremlin type person because he's been down there since the 80s, <laughs> like scaring all these people on this tour. Or they all interview for jobs at um, the Atlanta Hawks basketball team and they have to try to sabotage the interview. Or <laughs> Sal, notoriously being afraid of cats, they lock him in one of his hotel rooms with a giant white tiger. <laughs> like. <laughs> It is so damn funny. And if you love the Impractical Joker as much as I do, and I'm Team Q all the way, by the way, <laughs> you'll love you'll love this film as much as I do. It doesn't have as much for plot as any of the other films I've mentioned. Not in the slightest, but it is still an enjoyable film. So Impractical Joker as a movie is my number two. Awesome. Um, yeah, I definitely... I've recently checked out the the impractical jokers show and it's hilarious some of the things that they do just so funny so hey i might check out the might check out the movie (laughs) i've seen them live and they're pretty damn funny live too (laughs) so i love improv i love improv comedy yeah oh it's always fun like you know like for me like i love you know whose line is it anyway like that improv that fast just improv is so much fun and hilarious so yeah now we've reached number one <laughs> i think we i think much like last year do we need to grab hands like Thelma and louise and go into this one number one together yep <laughs> <laughs> you, you do the honors what is our number one film for 2020 our number one film of 2020 is Bill and Ted Face the Music. Damn right. <laughs> yeah, it is such a love letter to the previous films. And, you know, it, it has, you know, your original characters, of course, and new characters. And it is just filled with heart and humor and fun and you know it's it's usual bill and ted shenanigans but it's just a lot of fun and i absolutely adored the film um and i got to see it in theater so that was even better um and yeah i i loved it and just could not stop laughing all the way through it was just Great. <laughs> this is the first time in five years since Jurassic World came out that a comic book movie, particularly a DC comic book movie, has not been my number one film. Wow. And uh, um, and like you, you hit the point. It's this movie being a success that it is works for four reasons. Number one, number two. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves come back to play Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. And three and four, not any less important, just as important. Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon come back. The original writers and creators of these characters come back and write this film. Mm-hmm. So those four staples right there are why this film works so goddamn well. And really the only nitpick I had about it is like, well, didn't they have sons at the end of the film? Of uh, at the end of Bogus Journey, but they, well, all they do is say is they say they're it's little Bill, little Ted, which mm. they kind of a, they kind of address it in this film. So I guess that's kind of a rehash there, 
But I need to go back and rewatch the first one again. Does Rufus say that the song that will unite the world is they do they say it's by Preston and Logan or do they say it's Wild Stallion specifically? I think it's Wild Stallion specifically. They've, I thought it was Preston and Logan. Oh. I'm not sure then. I'd have to go back and watch that one too. But I thought it was because they formed like he gave them the instruments they formed to form the band and then I think it was from there that I, I, the song would unite them. But I, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I, th- I think I think it's the song that unites the world. It was done by Preston and Logan. Mm. But in this film, it's this. But the but in this film, it's the song that keeps time and space together. Mm-hmm. But. This film is so brilliantly done, and the performances are so. Like, we talked about it in our what was it? Our favorite sequels episode. Keanu Reeves is a hot commodity right now. He did not have to do this film, and he chose to come back and do this. And we talked about in that episode how he did not let playing Ted define him. Oh. This is that he could have been typecast as that surfer, whoa, dude, the rest of his life, but he wanted to do the Matrix. John Wick, Speed, Point Break, to do all these great films. And the fact that he's in the height of doing, he's in the middle, he's got two more sequels coming out next year, or this year, I should say, sorry, this year, Matrix 4 and John Wick 4. And he took the time out of that to do Bill and Ted 3. Mm-hmm. So not only is he like one of the, coolest celebrities and most unearthed celebrities that ever existed. He's still like in real life, but he still had time took time out of it doing all this stuff to come back and play one of his characters where one of his big characters where it all began mm-hmm. and to do it. Well, it's, it's like these two didn't miss a beat with these characters. either. It's almost like bogus, bogus journey. What? Almost 20 years later. Yeah, pretty much. 20, and, 30 years later. Yeah. And and they're they're still, you know, they, they may have aged, but they're still very much the same characters that we all know and, and love. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're still kind of, you know, a little naive on things, but they learn. And you see that throughout the film. And, and I really love their daughters. Like, and what yeah. I really love from, from both performances is that it was, ne- they're, they're not, impersonating you know Keanu and Alex they're they're not they're not impersonating them at all they have traits like you can tell that like in in body movements and different things like that like or interests they're yeah you you know that <laughs> they're they're you know Bill and Ted's daughters like thousand percent but it's it wasn't an invitation and that's what I really loved it was this is you know they're still their own person, but you know the traits are there, and you know I, I I love their performances too. I would say they're doing a little of an impression. Like I love Samara okay. Weaving in this film, and and Bridget Lundy Payne who plays uh, uh, Billy. Yeah, they are. They're not doing dead on impressions, but I would say they are. They they're they're doing the dude talk. They're, so they're talking much like how they talk. So 
so they're not doing like spot on impersonations, but yeah. I'd still say they are trying to emulate them more. Yeah, they they have the traits, they have the interest in the music and everything and all that stuff, but they at the same time I think they are a little bit trying to impersonate Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, but it's not like over the top bad. It's it's It's, more genuine. I think it's not it's not like Chip from Batman Returns trying to do a Christopher Walken impression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm playing Christopher Walken's son, though I'm doing a Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, no, I don't think it, it's it's not over the top. It, it's there, but I see it as you know they they got the traits from their from you know, their respective fathers, and that's just who they are, but they're still their own person. So, it, it is a little bit of an impression, but it's also not, in a way, if that makes any sense. So, I, I really enjoyed enjoyed those two a lot. I thought they were they were great. And I also really liked that they sort of steered things. They steered the story. It wasn't just Bill and Ted, it was the daughters steering and collecting everybody and getting this song to be made and and just so good. It was a good balance of the daughters doing things, and then of course Bill and Ted doing their thing to, you know, get the song out there, and just you know, a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, I could summarize my love for this movie with one cameo. And that's Dave fucking Grohl. Yes. <laughs> that scene had me dying. Yes. <laughs> I do, I do love the future Bill and Ted's. That is pretty fun. <laughs> Their interactions with all the future Bill and Ted's was pretty, pretty fucking oh, funny. My, my <laughs> Especially the one where they're at Dave Grohl's house was yeah. fucking hilarious. Dave, uh, the, them at Dave Grohl's house was just hilarious. I, their wacky outfits, their accents, their just personalities in general. Just I could not stop laughing. At them, I just—it <laughs> was so funny. <laughs> it, was, then, it was more for the part I couldn't stop laughing. They opened the door, and it's Dave Grohl. Hey, what are you doing in my house? Because <laughs> <laughs> it leads you on to think, oh yeah, they, they're successful and all this, and then oh, it's Dave Grohl's house. <laughs> well. Uh, I like I like the logic how they get out of that situation. We have to do something that we they know everything we're gonna do. So let's do something we're gonna forget. And they put the buckets on their heads and fall out of the fall off the balcony. I was hoping they for I was hoping they forget that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you feel they portrayed? Uh, the absence of George Carlin as Rufus. I, How was that handled? I, I think it was handled well. I think I really liked when they, they go and they, you know, there's like the hologram introducing them to the world and it's, you know, George Carlin. And that was, that was really sweet. And, and then the fact that it's, you know, Rufus's daughter who's sort of running things now and, and guiding them and, and letting them know what's happening. And, you know, I, I really like that. It was a nice sort of handoff to, you know, okay, this new generation who's handling things now, and but still having, you know, a presence there. And that they didn't just, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, make him a 
hologram somewhere else, like so, like something different. Um, but it just that he's introduced them and he's there, and then he has that presence. and And I think it was handled well, and it was handled sweetly. I think. Yeah, I agree. I the the hologram tribute was perfect. I'm glad they didn't try to ruin it by doing like the de aging CG, like they yeah. Like we've seen him most recent with the Mandalorian, or like how we saw in Rogue One with Carrie Fisher and uh, Peter Cushing. So I'm glad they didn't go that route. So I like the hologram tribute to him. Yeah. And I and not just to play, uh, not to have a uh, a bias towards Kristen Shaw because I love her. I loved her as Rips's daughter carrying on, and it, it's not retconning because it is established in the first film that he has a kid because mm-hmm. they, they they signed the the record for her. Or for Rufus at the end of the first film, but is it weird that I I was more happy with her being Rufus's daughter than Holland Taylor being his wife? Yeah, <laughs> like not not that Holland Taylor was bad. I just thought that was better. Having the daughter was better than having the wife. For some reason, I don't I can't I don't know why, but having the daughter just worked for me better. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I don't know, it just, yeah, it, it just seemed to, to maybe make a little more sense and make just, just, yeah, it, it worked a, a, a lot better. Um, and and I, like, I like that too. And, uh, two other performances I wanted to touch on real quick was um, Dazman Still and as uh, Jimi Hendrix and Jeremiah Kraft as Louis Armstrong, those were really great performances. They did not ham it up at all either. I I really did love how much focus those two got, especially. Yeah, it, it, it yeah they they played both those characters so well, and it, and just you know I think nailed it on on who you know the real Jimi Hendrix and real Louis Armstrong probably were and it's great <laughs> that was really great and i don't know why when i rewatched the film i don't know if it just caught me on a rather emotional day but i started to well up when they finally played the song at the end of the film mm-hmm. i think it just caught me in a real rather emotional day but it was my eyes got a little glassy that day but it was <laughs> A great ending to a great franchise, I think. Absolutely, and it it just, you know, they they, and I think, yeah, like I got a little emotional too, but it just because it was everybody coming together, it's uniting everybody, it's everybody's contributing to it, and it's all making everybody happy, and it's just such a, you know, heartwarming moment. And that's what this movie is. It has so much heart and fun in it, and such a beautiful, like you said, a beautiful ending to a to a franchise and to a film. Yeah, and when you hear that a franchise is getting a sequel twenty, thirty years later, you kind of do like a Rodney Dangerfield tug at the shirt collar. It's like, ugh. <laughs> so many years later, but it it pays off so well because it had so many pivotal parts from the previous films, even bringing William Sadler back as death mm-hmm. was great too. And like the fallout between him, you'll hear to sue me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so good. The fact that Death still cheats even when he's playing himself when he's doing hopscotch. <laughs> yep. I, I really like I, I, when I first viewed this film. The only real beef I had with it was the robot, mm. uh, Dennis. Yeah. Uh, I I enjoyed it more the second time around. Mm-hmm. I think I like that look on his face when he obliterates Bill and Ted. <laughs> that, <laughs> that jaw drop. <laughs> like, oh shit! I just did something <laughs> really bad. <laughs> yeah, I. I wasn't so much a fan of him. I thought it was kind of funny, but I wasn't so much a fan of him. But seeing a second time, it's like, yeah, okay, he's 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 all right, and yeah. you know, he he's so genuine in his sort of, you know, his awkwardness and his interactions with people, and then the fact that yeah, when he gets rid of Bill and Ted and his genuine like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> It's just hilarious. Yeah, I think I think that's when that's when he starts to shine is at that part when he obliterates Bill and Ted. <laughs> yep. <laughs> really, mother? You named him after my ex boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like the inter- I like the interaction between him and William Sadler's death. <laughs> it's like about playing the tambourine. Playing the tambourine is not as easy as it looks. <laughs> that's and this is i think this is the film that the world needs 2020 going into 2021 absolutely it does the world needs to come together and this is like a film that like brings the world together yeah absolutely and you know like i i said you know earlier about these films and you know i i love the i love the diversity of films and that each film that i saw were unique in themselves had unique characters original stories there wasn't a lot that was sort of rehashed and you know redone and just so genuine and fun and like my you know top two are because they were heartwarming they're full of heart and i think you know it's it's much needed now especially with things as they are and so you know it kind of catches us at at a time when we really need those those heartwarming moments those you know remind us that of good things in life and and think about things in a positive way and um yeah, and and this this one, Bill and Ted, was the one that we absolutely needed, and it it showed up at a really great time. So, um, you know, I'm I'm grateful for the film. <laughs> Me too, and like like you said, you know, we all need that heartwarming, that heartwarming, those heartwarming moments. So, like I look back at my list, and a lot of them have a lot of humor to it. This time you could sit or thinking you turn your brain off we all have uh, these things weighing us down when you get that you get that little hour and a half of distraction where you can just turn your brain off and forget about all your worries and cares and just laugh your ass off at something that's deserves to be laughed at because it's so great or it's so bad that you laugh at it it's just like i can sit there and laugh at jim carrey playing dr robotnik because it it's good 90s jim carrey like it's the good stuff of '90s Jim Carrey. I, 
Jim Carrey reigns, does a lot of performances goes over the top, but I still never stopped loving Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Or not even like the the gentleman. The humor is not as lighthearted, but it's still there. It's like that quirky tongue in cheek humor. Mm-hmm. Is, that's that uh-huh. humor that you you have to pay attention to. <laughs> You know, if you if you're not really paying attention, you're gonna miss it. But if you're paying attention, it's like yeah, you know, you, you get the joke, you get the humor. But yeah. So, while 2020 sucked as a year in general, the entertainment, I think, really n- delivered. Like, I yeah, I didn't have any big disappointments for the year because. Well, I go in with low expectations to, to things, but at the same time, it's like, look at the shit hand we were dealt as a year in general. Like, we, we'll take any distraction we can get to to feel good for an hour and a half to, to 20 minutes to an hour and a half, what have you. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so impressed with, you know, the content that's been released and and, you know, that it's, you know, all all these movies have been have been really great, and you know, even you know, looking at my list, and it's it's you know, there's a there's a good mix of sort of a little bit of the darker films, but also lighthearted and fun, and that kind of shows in my top five, where it's a little bit lighter, fun, you know, slightly bonkers. There it is again. Take a shot, <laughs> films, but just that <laughs> that feel-good film that you just, you know, you're going through a lot of stuff, and I know we all are at the moment, um, you know, a good distraction, and I certainly, I think for a lot of these films, it caught me at a really, at a, at a moment where I especially needed them, and it just hit so hard, and I, I love them. Um, so yeah, I, I applaud all these films, and, you know, it was it was tricky to make this list, because you know, so many of them were, were, all of them are good and only one can be number one, right? Or only one of them can be number two and it was just sort of, ugh, they're all, they're all fighting for the top because they're just, they, they all hit in some way for me and but at the end of the day I think it's a I made a pretty solid list and, you know, thankful I was able to find a lot of these films and give them a watch and they're definitely going to get a rewatch from me, so... <laughs> And rewatchability played a huge part in my list, and that's why I made that audible for *Impractical Jokers* the movie because like which which of these films have I rewatched the most since I since they came out, and I I'd still get a kick out of it every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. So as a quick recap, uh, Melissa's biggest disappointments for 2020 were *Sonic the Hedgehog*, *Babysitter Killer Queen*, and *Eurovision: The Song of the Fire Saga*. Well, I was on the other side of the spectrum and said my biggest surprise of 2020 was My Spy, starring Dave Bautista. Uh, Melissa's honorable mentions for the year were Inheritance and Willoughby's. While my honorable mentions were The Mortuary Collection, Never Hike in the Snow, and We Summon the Darkness. And to recap our top ten that we just went through... Uh, Jared's top 10 of 2020 was, uh, number 10 was the new, Mu- the new Mutants, uh, number 9 was Fat Man, number 8 was Sonic the Hedgehog, 
Number seven was Babysitter Killer Queen. Number six was Phineas and Ferb, the movie Candace Against the Universe. Number five was The Gentleman. Number four was Birds of Prey, the fabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Uh, Wonder, number three was Wonder Woman 1984. Number two was Impractical Jokers, the movie. And number one, Bill and Ted Face the Music. And my number ten, my top ten films of 2020 was uh, number ten was Rhythm Section, number nine The Old Guard, number eight We Summon the Darkness, number seven The Gentleman, number six Guns Akimbo, number five Birds of Prey: The Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, number four Wonder Woman 1984, number three Enola Holmes, number two Soul, and number one Same as Jared, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Great list, and we didn't have as much in common as we did last year. We had this, a lot of the same films, but they're all in different order. So exactly. we gave the listen, we gave the listeners a little variety for a change. Yeah, I think we, I, I think we certainly did a lot of um, spectrum swinging. I think as we we have done before, but certainly different and unique films. So great lists. <laughs> Right, so you ready to bring it on home here? I am. Um, so let's start with plugging our social media. Um, where can they find you, Jared? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA underscore Mista. That's spelled M-I-S-T-A underscore J. And uh, yeah, pay attention to those social medias because I do have a special project coming soon. So be sure you're keeping your ear to the ground for that. So, Melissa, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on uh, just Instagram now at MissMelissaN25. And then also I have a drawing page um, that I have called Scribbles of a Wannabe Drawer. So if you want to follow those, you can certainly do that. Um, but if you, I no longer have a Twitter account as I just had enough with the stuff that's the shenanigans that are going on on Twitter. So I no longer have it, but you can still follow the United Nations on Twitter at Nerdnited Podcast, Nerdnited Pod, as well on Facebook and Instagram at Nerdnited Nations Podcast. And don't forget to uh, find us on Podbean, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. That's all we're limited to right now. But uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review. So we can help spread the word of nerd and uh, be sure to join us next time where we're going to have a special guest, Jeremy Lloyd, a first timer on the show where we talk about one of my favorite cartoons in the nineties, the critic, which I'm a little intrigued to, to talk about this. Cause you're going to have two people with me and Jeremy who grew up in this cartoon and then Melissa, who's just now watching it for the first time. So it should be an interesting uh, discussion. It should be. It should be a lot of fun. And I want to give a quick shout out um, to another podcast that's um, a local podcast from where I live um, called The Michaelated Show. And it's on YouTube as a video podcast and also on all podcast platforms like your Apple Podcasts, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, all those things. Um, wherever you get your podcast fix, find it there. It's hosted by Michael Westerman, who he talks to everybody and anybody, um, specifically focusing on local businesses, 
Um, he talks to city councilors. He talks to a lot of people, and um, he has some really great conversations. So uh, certainly go listen to, to his podcast. And you can also find him, um, uh, if you want to follow him and keep up with his episodes, you can find him on Instagram, and that's at The Michael Lady Show. But it's T-H-A-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-T-E-D-S-H-O-W. The Michael Lady Show. So, O-M-O-U-S-C. <laughs> yeah. So go find him on there. And enjoy the his podcast. Awesome. So... I guess that'll do it for our top 10 films of 2020. So like we just said, we thought it, we thought all the shit would end with 2020. So apparently so far into 2021, it hasn't yet. So remember always be excellent to each other. And party on dudes. See you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.